Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Honey and Hustle, a video podcast that inspires the dreamers, creators, and hustlers to make a business from their passions. I'm Angela Hollowell, and I'm a visual storyteller based in Durham, North Carolina. I sit down with creative entrepreneurs, nonprofit founders, and small business owners as they share their stories, the lessons they've learned throughout their careers, and how they've worked to make a positive impact. Hey everyone, we are filming season three of the Honey and Hustle podcast live at the Durham Bottling Co. right in downtown Durham. We're about to get into a great conversation, but before we do that, I'd really appreciate it if you take a moment to share this episode with someone who you think might get some value from it. Feel free to tag me on the podcast on social media, and I'll be sure to put those links on the video and in the description below. If you're listening to the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podchaser, Apple Podcast, or Spotify. It helps others find the show and lets me know how I'm doing at this video podcast thing. If you'd like to support the show, be sure to check out our affiliate links, shop our merch, and subscribe to the Honeypot newsletter and this YouTube channel, all at the links in the description. Without further ado, let's get into it. We have known each other for quite a bit now. We connected mm-hmm. on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and um, I think we had known of each other before that when you were with Nolia Coffee and yeah. just like really doing some stuff with LinkedIn Live on Provident 1898, um, and just really building this like black and minority entrepreneur ecosystem mm. that exists here in Durham. Not building it, but contributing to yeah. building community. Well and, said. Yeah, and. Um, just contributing to fostering conversations with people who are doing incredible work here. So I just felt like it was a natural extension to have you on the show. As that's what we want to do here is really highlight what's happening right now in that entrepreneurship, in that creator, in that um, nonprofit kind of startup space that looks a little bit different from a tech startup, looks right. a little bit different from, you know, a tech SaaS company that is getting VC and you know, having a $5 million exit or something like that's not the path for a lot of people when they go into a business. Right. And that's not the only way to do business. And so I think it's really important that, you know, I had somebody on the show who was showing the other side of that, what that looks like to kind of build and be scrappy and be intentional and be mm-hmm. persistent um, and just meeting people and building community and building together. So thank you so much for, yeah, for coming on the this show. Is the best. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, you're the real deal. So excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So we're at the Durham Bottling Co., which is another co-working space. But I do want to hear yeah. about how you came to work with 1898 Provident, which is another mm-hmm. co-working space in a historically black part of Durham. So I'd love to share that story a little bit. OK, how far back do you want me to go? Oh, goodness gracious. How far back are we talking? <laughs> OK, well, I'll say I'll give a quick version of my journey. And so I was born in Canada mm-hmm. and so Canadian by birth, American by choice. And my life, when I look back, I see the roots of entrepreneurship all the way through. So, you know, I would run a, a bug zoo was one of my first businesses, lemonade stands, you know, all this type of stuff, all the way up to high school where I was like, oh, I should be a drug dealer. No, you shouldn't. Like, you know, right. But looking back at the 
the entrepreneurship muscle that I was working that I didn't know that I was working. I didn't know that entrepreneurship was a viable path. You know, all you knew was, okay, you go to college, you do these things and kind of follow the regular path. So um, as I journeyed forward, I started a few businesses, one sourcing coffee out in Burundi, Africa, beautiful journey there. And then moving forward, I started falling in love more with like coffee as a community builder. I was never solely sold on coffee. Like a lot of people start a coffee company or a coffee business because they're excited about coffee. I was never really excited about coffee. I was excited about coffee as a vehicle. And obviously it had to be good. And obviously it had to do, you know, the things and direct trade and all that stuff, but it's a fascinating vehicle. So it's always been about community and bringing people together for me. So then fast forward, running Nolia Coffee, which was this cool family-centric coffee shop right in East Durham. And the whole point of that was, again, community, right? Like, how do we bring people together, specifically parents with young kids, yeah. to create this safe space for them? And coffee was the how. Yeah. Um, and so from there, when the pandemic hit, whenever, whatever year that was, I feel like we're in the lost years. <laughs> makes no sense. When the pandemic hit, we were pretty much relegated to curbside coffee, which for a lot of people, you know, they made it work that way. For me, that's not why I wanted to start. You know, I never wanted to be a coffee shop in the traditional sense. I wanted to be a community shop that used coffee as the vehicle. And so when you take away community, and especially that space, like we were running, you know, um, what do you call them? Anyway, stuff for kids, story times. That's the word I was looking for. We were running these story times for kids and it was all about coming together. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you have a pandemic where gathering is the worst thing you can do. Right. And we're doing curbside coffee. We're like, nah, this isn't really it. So we ended up closing that down and pivoting a few directions with that. And in that process, and I promise I'm getting to the Provident 1898 piece, in that process, I was looking at, okay, well, I have this space, the space that Nolia was in. Um, I have a lease on it. So just practically from an entrepreneur standpoint, thinking, okay, well, how am I going to navigate this season? Because that's real entrepreneurship. You're like, no, I'm on the hook for this. I'm not going to break this lease. So what are we looking at doing? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, okay, well, maybe we could run a really small, black, exclusive co-working space. And the whole idea for me there was this idea of code switching, that as a black entrepreneur, you step into all these different spaces. It's very obvious, even if it's not said, it's very obvious that the space is not for you. Mm. It wasn't built for you. You know, it might accommodate you. And, you know, thankfully, Durham's amazing. Um, Raleigh even is, is good that there are black welcoming spaces. There are black, you know, uh, accommodating spaces, but none of them were black centric or black, you know, built for Mm-hmm. Um, the black entrepreneur. So I was like, all right, we're going to go Wakanda forever, like that level <laughs> on the spectrum, right? Go really far and just say, no, this is a black space to the point where if someone else stepped in there, it would be like, you know, a white person stepping into a black barber shop. Like it would be a culture shock, you know, it would kind of be the idea that I wanted to co-create with um, a few people here in Durham. But like you do in Durham and really should do everywhere is you go and sit down with the people who are doing the work before you start doing something new. And so I sat down with Peter and Carl over at Provident 1898. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they were leaning into, you know, black, brown co-working and, you know, that type of, but I didn't know exactly what that meant and how they were living into that. You know, by the time we sat down and had this meeting, I said, okay, well, maybe you know, this space could be really far on the spectrum and Provident could be like, I know kind of black centric or, um, but maybe a little bit here on the spectrum. 
And they were saying, well, frankly, we want to be living more into this space, not black exclusive, but certainly black centric, overtly black centric that we're saying, no, this is built for black people. This is built on the history and legacy of black Wall Street. um, And that, you know, it's obviously not exclusive. Everyone can be there, but it's built for black people. So um, ended up joining the team there because there was just so much more for us to do and build together than we could apart. And that was in November of 2020. Okay. Whatever year it is, what are we at? 22 now? Yeah. Yeah. So just over a year. And the results have been incredible over there as we have, you know, in a lot of ways, I think, started to come out of the closet as who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, that like this is what it is and this is what it's for. And somehow, crazily, we sold out of all of our suites in the middle of a pandemic, you know? So, but I think it was a lot of because we're attracting people based on alignment and not just based on, hey, I need space. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a co-working community, not just a co-working space. And so that level of alignment, I think, has not just attracted people, but the right people. Mm -hmm. And it's felt really good. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my journey to get here. Okay. So let's stay on Provident for a second mm-hmm. because, again, you were talking about alignment. It has to be in alignment with what you want and your vision for a space. And, mm-hmm. you know, they just so happen to align with that at the right time. Um, and you've been doing some events at Provident 1898, socially distanced, safe mm-hmm. events for people outdoors when it's possible. And how has that been going in terms of building, bringing new people in, introducing mm-hmm. them to Provident, and um, just kind of learning more about the needs of people in this community? I think as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, you have to know what your actual why is. Like you have to know what True North actually is for you. So when we're talking about Provident, the vision there is that it's a Black-centric co-working community mm-hmm. and resource hub. And so when we, you know, in the middle of this pandemic, we're like, okay, well, space, we can't be focused on being a space business. We need to be a community. We need to be a resource hub. Well, that can transcend space. And so the pivot at the beginning was, okay, let's hop on LinkedIn Live and just give resources, interview people, give people knowledge. Okay, that was working. That was going well. But then further, what does it mean to be community? What does it mean to come together and network and interact and create some of these collisions? Um, And so, yeah, we started this um, pull up at Providence series. And that's been amazing. You know, 50, 60, 80 people out at some of these events, socially distanced. And we didn't do one in January because of um, Omicron coming up, but um, continuing to do that type of work because, again, the true north, the value for us is how do we create community? How do we create collisions? Mm-hmm. And whether that's digitally, in person, safely, we're always looking at how do we do that? And then everything else kind of aligns to that. The how is really informed by the what, like the real what mm-hmm. for us. And so we're constantly evolving and pivoting on the how. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I say I say a lot that the mission never changes, but the methods do. Mm. Right. So we've been really thinking, OK, well, the methods we can change. Uh, but the mission ultimately at the heart of the work that we're doing over there is bringing people together so that they can grow. Right. You know, that's the whole vibe. Yeah. Oh, man. So what are some of the things that you would say are indicators that you are doing your job well? Is it people coming out to events? Is mm. it people that are connecting mm. at your events? Is it. You know, obviously for Provident, it's still a business. They need people to get through the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does that look like for them in terms of 
creating a space in Durham, which already has an incredible legacy of black yeah. entrepreneurship, immigrant entrepreneurship, you know, collective power and people coming together and knowing that there is strength in community. What does that look like for you guys? Mm. I think for me, a lot of the indicators of success are intangible. So, for example, it's two members of our space who say, hey, we started working together and are collaborating on this really cool project. Or, yeah, because we met at Provident, now this is happening, right? Yeah. So it's the outcomes that are born out of the connections, like what new things are birthed out of the connections and collisions that happen here, what third kind of realities are created in that space. I think that's a big measurement of success for us. And you know, as a business, when you align to the impact and you say, okay, this is the impact that we wanna have, mm -hmm. the revenue needs to follow that. So you can kind of reverse engineer your revenue structure to the impact that you really wanna have. And so, okay, we wanna make these type of connections. We want to see entrepreneurs grow and increase their revenue and frankly, um, just on this conversation, we're doing a lot of internal dialogue right now about how do we actually measure the impact that we really want to have long term, which is we want to be a part of businesses increasing their revenue. We want to be a part of businesses hiring more people. Like some of the metrics that if we could really figure out how to measure that, okay, how did you being at Provident and associated with the Provident 1898 community actually grow your bottom line hiring you know, your sense of peace and alignment in your work, you know, all the things that really matter for um, entrepreneurs as they grow. So we're leaning a lot more into that because we've had a lot of success and seeing a lot of these kind of anecdotal stories, these yeah. anecdotal testimonials where it's like, oh, this happened because of this, but we haven't to this point done a good job of tracking. Right. What does that really mean to win at what we say we're trying to win at, mm -hmm. which is ultimately transformation. It's not just fill in the space and not just revenue, all of that gets reverse engineered from the impact. Right. Yeah. So you touched on two really important things that we're probably going to dive into separately here. And the first one is reverse engineering revenue. So mm -hmm. a lot of people will say, well, you know, I want to make $100,000. I mm -hmm. want to make $350,000. I want to be a millionaire. But you can't control what people spend, you know, but you can control what you're putting out into the world, right? Mm -hmm. How, what impact you're making, what value you're providing, whether that's creating a podcast, whether that's oh. saying, I'm going to do a LinkedIn live every week and feature a different business in this space or a different business in the community that I would love to have join this space mm -hmm. and meet other people in this space. Um, you know, focusing on what am I doing right now mm -hmm. to create that impact rather than what am I doing right now to make money? Mm -hmm. Some things you can control, some things you can't. I agree. And I really think that it's a matter of changing your perspective on what is currency to you. Right. Because I think long term, you know, the revenue, the dollars, you can do that. You can make that. You can figure out how to grow and scale. But you got to really understand what is the real currency to you. And to me, it's community. Community is currency. Mm. Connection is currency. Long term, I have no doubts about what that will do for my financial position. Yeah. I'm not concerned about that. But that's not the driver. Right. That's more of the outcome than it is. It's the. Um, effect, not the cause. And so I'm really after like do the cause mm -hmm. things. So exactly what you're saying, like do the right things for the right reasons mm -hmm. and the effects that happens, right. you know, and you can plan for that and you can kind of make some pieces around that. But um, it should never, if you're going to live a fulfilling life, it should never be about the effect. It should never be just about the dollars or getting to, you know, be a millionaire. Cause then when you do what, then what, right? 
you, you've succeeded without fulfillment. And that to me is, I think, one of my worst nightmares in the world is I, you know, I'm not afraid of failing. Yeah. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. All right. Yeah, I think, I don't even know. I don't know if this is a controversial opinion or not. Don't cancel me if it is. Just comment discreetly. <laughs> um, but one thing that I will you say. You can at me. At me. <laughs> yeah, come at me. <laughs> Justin is like, I'm fair game. <laughs> right, yeah. But don't touch my people. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that is really big right now, especially on Twitter, and I think really in all social media spaces, is, is this talk about NFTs, mm-hmm. talk about crypto, is talk about investing in stock, investing in mm-hmm. real estate. Um, not to say that it wasn't, not big before the pandemic, but I do yeah. think we see an increased desire for people to diversify their income streams mm-hmm. and to, you know, use money to invest in something that doesn't take as much time and much effort as, you know, starting a full on business and being mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. Not that there's anything wrong with either sides of those sure. coin, whatever you do to make money that's not hurting people, I'm all about. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other half of this is like, I think even in that space, even if you are investing in stock, investing in whatever it is you're Mm -hmm. investing in to make a return, um, you have to be honest with yourself, right? Because if Mm -hmm. you're saying, well, yeah, being a millionaire sounds great to me and all I did was invest in this stock and this crypto Mm -hmm. and I got big and that's fine. But I think you're a lot of people a lot of times are not honest in saying you know well, i've been poor you know mm-hmm. i've been with that i wonder where my next meal is coming from and this is why i'm doing that mm-hmm. right you know there's a certain level of lack of honesty with yourself when you're spending so much time learning about crypto learning about all these other things that are can be maybe possibly get rich quick mm-hmm. type of ways rather than starting a business or something um and even starting a business you know there oh i started a t-shirt company and i right. made whatever amount right. of money you know you have to be honest with yourself about why that amount of money matters to you mm-hmm. why being a millionaire by 30 matters to you why being a forbes 30 under 30 matters to you right um and i think there's a certain level of dishonesty there that i think is very apparent when you look at certain marketing trends when you were talking about well how do we track mm-hmm. you know the impacts that we're having through revenue through you know uh, uh, employment opportunities provided you know through these small businesses and there's definitely a big draw and a big emphasis now on audience ownership and audience data ownership sure. right and so when you lean into okay well how do we survey these people how do we collect this data how do we build an engaged audience that will answer this survey mm-hmm. that will talk to us and be open with them about you know how much they have made since joining and you know what they've been able to do in terms of growth in terms of their company what can what they consider to be growth i think we get into this realm of what an audience and what a community looks like. Mm -hmm. Because even in crypto, there's community. Even in NFTs, huge community of people. And, you know, there is a space now where you can have a digital community that's just as powerful, just as meaningful, just as engaged as a local community. Right. So how are you guys navigating that? And because you guys are kind of uh, doing a combination of, you know, digital events and Mm -hmm. physical events. So how have you guys been navigating that audience building and, you know, collectivism there? You said so much in there. That was <laughs> juicy. No, it was great. Um, a few thoughts. I think when you are centered on being of value to the community that you say you want to serve, again, you have options when it comes to the methods, right? And you should be open to 
what that looks like in different spheres. So whether that's taking it digital um, or all the way to some of these really virtual, you know, crypto metaverse spaces, whatever. There are a ton of options. But I think what I always come back to, and this has um, guided me well in terms of my life, my investments, everything, is I look at the human elements, meaning like what are the timeless things that have been this way forever and will be this way forever? And how do we lean into that? So, and this is going a little bit of a, a different direction, but when you think about NFTs or all, you know, all this kind of crazy new technology that's coming out, the human element at the root of it has been the same forever, which is that there is a desire for people to represent themselves and show their status or their life or whatever it is through these different means. And so all an NFT is, or some of these new technologies are, is what used to be your Ferrari as a status symbol is now a digital something or a digital community or whatever. Same thing with community, right? Your sense of belonging, what used to be your sense of belonging in a physical environment, now is your sense of belonging across the world in some of these niche environments where your status, your whatever in that community, in that tribe, if you will, really matters. Mm -hmm. And so you're doing things in that, whether that's, you know, and people think like, oh, well, I'm never going to end up on Metaverse or whatever. You're already on Metaverse. If you have an Instagram account, you have a digital persona mm -hmm. that represents a physical you in some way. And that isn't even always accurate, right? You have this persona. So um, I think the, the technology for me, when you strip it away and you just look at the human elements. And so at Provident, when we lean into the human elements, it's the desire to belong. Mm -hmm. It's the desire to connect, the desire to find meaning and fulfillment and significance um, in the world. All of the other stuff kind of feeds that, right? So we choose the mediums based on belonging, significance, you know, growth, mm -hmm. achievement, the things that are never going away. Mm -hmm. Again, how? A lot of different ways we can do it, yeah. right? But um, I think that's when you when you stay focused on that piece at the core of what you're doing, um, then you don't get lost in all the other stuff. And then, you know, another piece to comment on was just people understanding the why. And the why, specifically when I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs who are like, oh, you know, I wanna make a bunch of money. Okay, that's great. But that should never be the end, right? Right. Like money for what? What does that represent to you? Is it the freedom that you're looking for to be able to be on your own schedule? Is it the ability to build community centers in the city that you love? Is it, you know, what, why? Mm -hmm. Why, why the dollars? Because otherwise, and again, the scariest thing, and I've seen this way too often, and people think they want it, but you don't, is that you've succeeded at it and you made a bunch of money and it is empty. Yeah. You are empty and you will never get fulfillment that way. Yeah. You can get success, but you will not get fulfillment that way. So, um, yeah, that's a, it's an interesting path to walk. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, you're talking about feelings of belonging, feelings of inclusion, feelings of mm -hmm. acceptance and, things like that, that people seek within community, right? We're also seeing this being very prevalent in the workspace, mm -hmm. right? We're seeing, I don't want to say an uprising. I do think is it a little excessive in the amount of DEI 
positions that are being available now with companies. Um, also a little concerning and alarming, like what were you doing before now? Uh-huh. Um, but, uh-huh. you know, um, but we're seeing that a lot now. And mm. I'm not saying people shouldn't take these positions or that they shouldn't exist, but it is um, a daunting task when you have someone in a position that is their goal is to create those feelings of a healthy environment for people. Um, in ways that are solely their decisions to make. Like, it's everybody's responsibility in the workplace to make it healthy, Mm -hmm. right? But the how and the why are kind of coming from this one person, Mm -hmm. right? Whereas uh, providence is kind of the opposite. You're just providing the space. You're aligning with, you're attracting people that already believe those things, Mm -hmm. right? Not going into it and saying, this is what you should be doing. Right. Um, So there's a little bit of a difference when it comes to like by the community for the community initiatives to create safe spaces Mm -hmm. versus uh, by the corporation for the corporation to create a safe space for just whoever ends up there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can hope and pray that you put in the right things in a job description to attract the right people, but as we have seen during this pandemic, that is not always the case. So, you know, it's not saying there's anything wrong with those people. It's just saying, like, there is work to be done around how we communicate our values, mm-hmm. right? So what are some of the ways that you want to recommend for anyone else who's trying to do community building in their own way, mm-hmm. whether that's through their business or through a co-working space or through a community organization or in the workplace? Because there are still a lot of people who may be at Provident mm-hmm. 1898 but have a full-time job mm-hmm. and are there to, you know, co-work and maybe work on their side hustle and just connect with other people that can, you know, change their perspective and enhance their perspective on entrepreneurship. Mm. I want to stay on the values piece of what you said. And I think it's one thing to communicate your values and another thing to say, what does it really mean to live into mm-hmm. our values? Because a lot of times, you know, a corporation will have transparency as a value. Okay, but what does that mean? How do you live that out? How do you, like, on a day-to-day even measure transparency? What does that mean? Or authenticity or, you know, um, inclusion, equity, mm-hmm. these different types of pieces. I think there, there are a lot of buzzwords. And I think this is what corporations are grappling, grappling with is that you've not even had a budget or any sort of anything dedicated to diversity, equity, inclusion. So now you're trying to throw some stuff at it right now when you really have not been living it, living into it from the beginning. So if you go way back and this is a lot of the questions that I'll talk to different execs with um, about. But um, who sits at your dinner table? Obviously, we're in a pandemic. But let's say pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Who sits at your dinner table? Yeah. Don't tell me about your company yet. Who sits at your dinner table? Do you have diverse ethnicities, thought, you know, um, gender identities? Like who's sitting at your dinner table? every day or you know often enough who does your family interact with okay and then now going into your company okay well who are the decision makers because you might hire a diversity equity inclusion person but they're not really a person of any power within the organization you just did it so that you have the position and you you know you're doing some things and you make a couple posts on black history month right like that's not really moving the needle in terms of shifting the soil, the culture, the environment. And then what happens, unfortunately, a lot of times um, with um, businesses that I'm consulting with is they'll hire a bunch of new people 
who are, let's say, black, right? They hire a bunch of uh, new black people, but the culture hasn't changed at all internally in the organization. So now you're coming into, as a black person, this toxic environment that was not built for you. Yes. Um, not accommodating you in any real way. It hasn't made room for you, your voice, your unique perspective in any way. You know, and a lot of people, going back to the, the George Floyd big, um, big piece, there were so many of my friends who are black who are at companies who the first conversation they ever had about race or diversity or equity or inclusion or how they felt being at that company was in reaction to George Floyd. And what I was telling people was like, look, if you're a leader of that organization and you're doing that, the first conversation is, hey, this is the first time we're talking about this and I'm so sorry. Yeah. Right. Like not. Yeah. It, it's a very different conversation to lean into that space. So, again, I say, well, you know, what does it mean every day for you as a leader? What does it mean every day for your company? How are you living into these values? So that's always the challenge. Even, you know, going internally at Provident 1898, we say we're a co-working community. Well, community is a verb. Mm hmm. Right. Like, what does it mean to live into community? How do we activate that? How do we know we're doing it? How do we know we're not? Like, you got to ask those real questions. And to me, it's until it costs you something. Mm -hmm. It's not real, mm -hmm. you know, until it costs you something, whether it's your comfort, um, whether it's some dollars, whether it's whatever, like it's got to cost something to live into your values. There's a give up. You got to give something up to say yes to a real value. Mm -hmm. You know, so what are you giving up? Like, are you giving up this monoculture? Are you giving up like, what do you, it should cost, mm -hmm. you know, it should cost something. So I don't know if I answered that, but that's where we went with it. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, but I think that's an interesting note that you took away from that conversation was like, well, what is it costing us if we say that we are inclusive? It's costing us maybe people who don't agree with that, mm -hmm. right? Maybe costing us people with money who don't agree with mm -hmm. that. Whatever with money means, I don't know. Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> like, it's relative. Sure. Um, sure. You know, so it's just like, you know, what is it costing us when we say, well, we are, you know, an inclusive community. We are an uplifting community. Uh, we are a person, who's a community that celebrates the diversity and entrepreneurship. You know, what is that costing us within Durham in itself, within mm -hmm. the narrative of Durham, uh, within the narrative of the Triangle, within the narrative of North Carolina, um, and within the narrative of the small business ecosystem here? You know, what are we saying to people out there? What are we exhibiting to people out there through our actions? Yes. Um, and so, well, and I can say on the Providence side, real easily. You know, if you're aligning as a black centric co-working community that is not focused on tech. Right. And we are, you know, focused on all types of businesses, but especially helping like Main Street style businesses. Right. Well, when you do that, the cost is a lot in terms of, you know, market opportunity or whatever you want to talk about, because it is way easier way easier to fill a co-working space with a bunch of white tech bros. RTP. Right? But like, right? no, but like, and, and that's fine. Like those communities are needed and whatever. It's great. But the the ease of, and I'm not saying it's easy, but easier mm -hmm. to fill a space with white tech bros who, yeah, I need space. I got money to pay. I got, you know, da, 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 da. Great. Well, when we're dealing with the community that we are wanting to serve, we got to really think hard about the business model, about like the pricing structure and accessibility for the people who really need it. You know, what does that look like and how do we make that happen? And it's 
tons of implications for our business model right. in terms of how that happens. And like, okay, do we need philanthropic dollars to support? Or, you know, like you're thinking on a way different scale. So the cost is big. But then I always think about what is the cost of not? Yeah. You know, it's like the gain in the world to lose your soul model, right? Like, no, what is the, it would be costing our soul not to. Yeah. So it's not even an option, you yeah. know? Yeah. And this is, I just want to circle back here. This is not a shot against Research Triangle Park. There is a lot of growing yeah. diversity, calls for diversity there. Um, and there are a lot of diverse people that hang out at the frontier, which is a co-working space yeah. there. Um, and I think there is a larger conversation because black people are also, that's, there's a lot of pe- black people in the NFT space, a lot of black people get into crypto, real estate, mm-hmm. things that they feel, and I agree, will help generational wealth, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to, you know, not have anything to pass down, right? Mm-hmm. That is the thought. That is also a reality, right? People want money, you know, mm-hmm. more money than they probably know what to do with. Um, you know, they want to be able to give that to somebody. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, in a lot of ways, dominant culture still shifts popular culture here in in America. Like black people, obviously we are definitely culture creators, culture Mm -hmm. innovators, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, when tech is that big, has a dollar sign on Mm -hmm. it, you know, we see a lot more black people going into tech, a lot more black people going into coding. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're seeing that kind of like call and response type deal, right? right? And we also can create that now. I think the playing field is becoming so much more even now during the pandemic. I think if there's ever a time to say, I am not only going to be a responder, but I'm also going to be someone who's putting out a call. Mm-hmm. Now is the time to do that. Yeah, it's a beautiful window of opportunity. I think the pandemic has brought a bunch of things to the surface that were just hiding below the surface. And so it's this opening, this open door, a bit of a reset to say, is this really what we want? Is this really how we want society to look? Is this really how I want my life to look? And we're seeing that with the great resignation and all these things. It's what it symbolizes to me is a bunch of humans finally waking up and asking some questions. That's it. Just being honest and asking some real questions like, "Mm, what do I actually want my relationship to work with work to look like? My relationship with my loved ones, my, you know, all of these different things, what do I really want it to look like? Because I'm, I have a lot more power than I thought mm-hmm. in terms of how I create the life that I'm looking to live. Yeah. You know, I think that's what it represents, this opening, this this opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great note to end on. How can people find you at Provident 1898? Obviously, yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. Hit me up, Justin Minot. Um, Provident 1898. That's Provident1898.com is the best way to connect over there. And Instagram, you know, hit me up. I'm here. I'm a real person with a real account. So <laughs> for now, for now. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. You're the best. Thank you.